Well, church, good morning. Man, it is great to see you. Uh, this is a beautiful sight. Thank you so much, you who are online, for joining us as well. And, uh, you know, when you have an outdoor service, there are always different things that add to the memories. And so uh, this, is a, this will be an Acts 2 memory of the, the Holy Spirit as a mighty rushing wind and uh, our experience of that. I want to say uh, a special thanks to uh, a couple of groups. First of all, to our children uh, for helping us celebrate Palm Sunday. Wasn't that wonderful? You bet. And then... Um, Whenever we decide to do an outdoor service like this, it adds uh, about 100 hours of work to everybody on our tech team and worship team, and uh, we're so grateful to you guys as well uh, for all the setup you did, as well as our hospitality people, folks setting up chairs, everything. Uh, very grateful. Well, we've been in this series. We should clap, right? Yeah, we should clap. That's right. And then... Um, it took extra brill cream for me, uh, and I'm not, you know, it's not a big sacrifice, but uh, just trying to get my hair to lay down, but uh, I guess we don't need to clap for that. Now, that's fine. Not, that's, that's totally fine that we don't clap for that, but uh, so uh, we have been in this series of spring called Rooted, and we've been looking at some of the practices that Jesus lived out and, and also taught. Uh, and these practices like scripture reading and Sabbath and solitude and, and uh, so many others, friendship uh, with Jesus, we could talk about fasting and serving and so many other things. These practices are always good in their own right. We honor God whenever we do them. But there's another very important benefit of these practices, and that is that they help to strengthen us for the things that God calls us to do. You might say it this way. These spiritual practices give us supernatural strength to do what we cannot do in our own natural strength. And so in, in a sense, all of that has been pointing toward this week, toward Holy Week. And today, just as we've been following Jesus into these practices, we want to talk about following Jesus into obedience. And so our passage is going to take place just a few days after Jesus' entry into the holy city on Palm Sunday. And I want to read our passage to you today. It's actually printed out on your program as well, if you'd like, to, and, and notes as well, if you'd like to study along there. Uh, but it's Luke 22. We'll begin reading in verse 39. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. God bless the reading of his word. My mom used to love to tell me the story about something I did when I was too young to remember. I was about three, I guess. And uh, one weekend, my dad had spent much of a Saturday trying to fix a knob on our gas stove. That was on a Saturday. And then on a, on a Monday, three-year-old Larry got out his Fisher-Price toolbox and popped that knob right off. And uh, that evening when my dad got home from work, uh, my mom was just kind of laughing about it. It's like, you'll, you'll, you'll never believe what Junior did today. You know that, that knob you worked all Saturday on? And just lickety split, he got that thing off of there. And I'm sure it was a moment of epic cuteness. 
uh, as we were all, I'm sure, as a family laughing. But my mom decided, well, she probably ought to make a little moral point here. You know, as parents, we're always looking for opportunities to make moral points. And so she said to me, um, and I want a big buildup here before I tell you. Um, so my mom says to me, Larry, you want to tell Daddy you're sorry, don't you? Um, and in the moment, I apparently replied, no. She asked again, oh, come on, tell Daddy you're sorry. And I apparently said, no. A couple more times, Larry, tell Daddy you're sorry. No. I said, tell Daddy you're sorry. No. And uh, what started off as cute and funny ended with little Larry getting a spanking because he refused to obey his mother and apologize. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, um, I did try to get my siblings involved in a class action lawsuit against my parents, but that, that never materialized. But, but the real reason I tell you that story is that from a very young age, I discovered that magic word, no. Barely able to talk, I loved that little word, no. Just two letters, but when you put them together, those two letters had power, especially when you put an exclamation point after it. Little Larry, apparently, just three years old, was falling in love with the word no. I wonder if anybody can relate to falling in love with the word no. We like to say that word, don't we? To, we, we like to say it to authority figures. Uh, we like to just say it in general. Sometimes it's a laughable no. Have you ever done one of those? Maybe it's Thursday night of Thanksgiving and somebody says, hey, you wouldn't want to get up at 5 a.m. and go to a Black Friday sale at Target tomorrow morning, would you? And that's like a ha-ha no, like no way, uh, you know. Um, sometimes it's a fearful no, like when somebody asks you to go skydiving with them, you know. But no, I, it scares me to even think of it. Sometimes it's an angry no, like when someone tries to charge you for something you didn't order. And suddenly, from somewhere deep down inside you, this no bubbles up, this angry no, this twisted sister, we're not going to take it anymore, kind of no, no, no. We love to say no. We even sometimes say no to God, don't we? Now, sometimes it's easy to say yes to God. I, I think about uh, in John 5, when the lame man was asked by Jesus, do you want to get well? It, it, it took him a little while to figure out what Jesus was asking him. But eventually, that was a quick yes. Do you want me to heal you? Yes, by all means, Jesus, yes. Uh, Palm Sunday, I think, is a day that it's easy to say yes to God. Hey, would you like to be a part of a Jesus parade? Yes. W would you like to wave these palm branches? Yes. Would you like to twist and shout and sing songs of praise? Yes. I think there are some times when it is easy to say yes to God. But still, there are other times when saying yes to Jesus is costly. And one of the things I want us to see today is that Jesus on Holy Week had to say the costliest of all costly yeses to his father. In fact, when you think about it, was that, uh, 
Oh, we're still live. Okay. We're still live, everybody, and we are going with this. Okay. So uh, on that, that holy, where was I? On the holy week, Jesus was saying yes to God. He said yes to God on Monday, Thursday. He said yes to washing his disciples' feet. He said yes to offering them the bread and cup that are, that are symbolic of his own body. He said yes on that most important moment, the moment of our passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and as, as John was saying earlier, this Thursday night, we're going we're gonna to trace the trajectory of Jesus once again from the, the table to the cross. The, the question I want to ask this morning is, how does Jesus find his yes? How did Jesus say yes to God on that night of all nights? Um, and, and how can we say our yes to God? Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'm thinking it's too. He, Jesus could say yes because he's Jesus. He is the Son of God, right? But yet, as we watch what Jesus does, and as we pray for the strength of the Spirit of Jesus inside of us, we can say yes as well with his help. And so, how did Jesus find the strength to say yes? First thing, I think, is the power of rehearsal. The power of rehearsal. There's a little detail that, that I find very fascinating in verse 39. Remember, Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples. Now, after taking Passover, now it says in verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. There's a little phrase there. If you blink, you miss it, but I think it's really significant. Jesus went out as usual. In other words, this was not his first time to go to that prayer retreat on Monday, Thursday night in Gethsemane. In fact, if you turn back a chapter to Luke chapter 21, verse 37, it tells us about the rhythm of Jesus that last week of his life. It tells us each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and then get this, and each evening he went out to spend the night on a hill called the Mount of Olives. In fact, as you move from chapter 21 to chapter 22, Judas Iscariot decides to betray Jesus, he goes and he, he tells a group of people, I'll tell you where you can find him. How did Jesus know where to find Jesus? Or, or how did Judas know where to find Jesus on Monday, Thursday night? He knew because that was Jesus' practice. He'd been there the night before, the night before, the night before, the night before. Jesus had been rehearsing for this moment. Now, I guess part of me is speculating here, but it, it sure seems like each night... Jesus was warming up for the battle of his night, for the battle of his life. In fact, you know, if you walked into our worship center on a Sunday morning, you might say to yourself, must be nice to play the bass. I, I, I wish somebody had asked me to do that. Must be nice to play the electric guitar. I've never played it before, but I'm sure it's not very difficult. Uh, must be nice to play the drums. What? That's just like banging on pots in the kitchen. That, that's, you know, must be must be nice, but the people you see playing have been practicing for years. They've been practicing by themselves for years. They've also been rehearsing together on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning. And I wonder if you've ever thought about the life of discipleship that way. The, the discipleship almost is, is band practice, right? As if to say, Lord, there's something really important that I'm going to be called on to perform for you, and I want to get it right. And so while I'm by myself in my private disciplines, 
while I'm with others in public disciplines at the church, I, I, I want to spend my time worshiping you. I want to spend my time in solitude. I want to study scripture with my friends in Crow Group. I want to serve others. I want to fast and I want to feast. And I'm asking you to help me rehearse for the moment when I am called upon to perform, for the moment when I'm called upon to obey. I think Jesus demonstrates to us the power of rehearsal. I think there's a second reason that Jesus was able to find his yes on that Monday, Thursday night in Gethsemane. And that's what you might call the power of readiness. The power of readiness. Think of readiness as kind of staying spiritually alert to God, staying spiritually awake. In fact, in verse 40, it says, On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. It's almost like Jesus is saying there's, there's a camouflage trap that the devil has set. And so pray that your eyes would be wide open and that you would not fall into that trap. Now, we know that Jesus' disciples didn't take that word seriously. I mean, they were yawning when he said it, and they fell asleep. Now, uh, Jesus did the opposite, didn't he? Jesus stayed awake. Jesus prayed and wrestled with God. Even after that, an angel strengthens him, and he prays some more, and his sweat was like drops of blood. And when he went back to find the disciples, they were asleep. They were exhausted from sorrow. And Jesus says to them again in verse 46, Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, was Jesus anti-sleep? Of course not. I mean, Jesus slept in a boat during the middle of a storm, right? Jesus was not against sleep. I think here, sleep and, and waking is a metaphor for being spiritually alert and ready for what God has to us. How many of you have ever seen little kids sleepwalk before? It's, you have. All right. Okay. It is, it is very cute, but also terrifying, isn't it? It's cute, but it's terrifying because what if in their sleepwalking, they unlock the door and everybody else is still asleep? Well, I think what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, I don't want you to sleepwalk on this night of all nights. I want you to be awake. But unfortunately, Peter slept, didn't he? And just a few hours later, when it's time to obey, when it's time to do what God asks us to do, Peter will deny Jesus, not once, but three times. Jesus wanted his, his disciples, he wants us to stay spiritually ready. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great British Baptist pastor, used to say, on, on this moment, it was like Jesus was saying, remember the prayer I taught you? Remember that part, lead me not into temptation? Pray that part especially tonight. Underline that part tonight. My, my prayer for us is that we would have our eyes open. I'm not trying to be scary, but I wonder for each one of us, is there a trap that if we're not spiritually alert, we might stumble into it. How might prayer open our eyes? I, you know, I can't imagine being where Jesus was in Gethsemane. I can't imagine how a thousand 
I mean, I can almost imagine that a thousand no's would be bubbling up in my heart. No, God, no, no, no. Please don't ask me, God, no. And yet Jesus found his yes. He'd been rehearsing for this moment. He was spiritually alert and ready for this moment. And yet there's something else that, that really stood out at me as I studied this passage. And, it, and it's connected to what we've been walking through as a church for the last couple of months. And that's not only the power of rehearsal and the power of readiness, but it's the power of rootedness. You know, a tree that has deep roots can survive wind like this and stronger. It, it can keep from being uprooted. It can survive a drought because it has deep roots. What the disciples are going to walk through, what Jesus is going to walk through, is the storm of all storms. And the question is going to be, what's the root system like? How deep are the roots? How strong are the roots? Will faith wither or will faith keep us upright? I want you to, to just for a moment imagine, feel what Jesus was going through. I want you to feel the depth of that suffering. For example, that we're told in verse 41 that uh, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed. Imagine what that is like for different ones of us with different arm strength, right? But imagine what a stone's throw looks like. How far away would that be? I find it fascinating that Jesus needed his friends around him, but yet when it was time to go through what he was going to go through with God, he also needed to be a part. He needed to go through some things by himself. You know, it's great to have our friends around us. It's wonderful when our friends support us in times of grief. But there's always a time when our friends leave, right? And we're still there, and we're stuck in the midst of our pain. Recently, I was in the home of someone, a uh, wonderful family, faithful family, and, and a, a member of the family was on hospice. And I was so grateful for the hour that we spent. I was grateful for a chance to pray. And yet, I think when I was leaving, in a way that maybe I've never felt before, I thought to myself, I'm leaving, but everybody else is staying. Right? I, I spent an hour, but everybody else is going to spend 24 hours upon 24 hours. I was going to be a stone's throw away, in other words, when they were going through their deepest pain. I want you to think about Jesus, a stone's throw away, going through this pain. In fact, I love the, the great Scottish preacher, Alexander McLaren, when he begins his sermon on this passage, he begins with these words. Very first words of his sermon after he reads the text is, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. What's he saying? He's saying, this is holy ground. Just like Moses before the burning bush, this is a moment of holiness. This is the deepest depth of our Lord's sorrow. So how does Jesus pray? Very famous prayer, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. In the Bible, cup is a, a metaphor. It's a metaphor of something really awesome, or it's a metaphor of something really horrible. In Psalm 23, uh, when the, the, the good shepherd prepares a table in the midst of the psalmist's enemies and, and anoints his head with oil and his cup 
overflows, that's, that's amazing, right? That's a cup overflowing with God's blessings. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup is not a cup of blessings. It's a cup of God's anger against sin. It's a cup of God's anger against the sin of humanity. And when Jesus prays, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me, he's saying, take away from me this punishment that I don't deserve because I'm sinless. And you know, a lot of people struggle uh, with this prayer that Jesus prays. It's kind of like, you know, if Jesus is holy, why is he trying to get out of drinking the cup? If Jesus is holy, why is he trying to get out of going to the cross? But friends, I believe that holiness and humanness are not contradictions. You know, St. Augustine used to teach that when we pray, we're not always sure in the moment whether we should pray for God to change our circumstances or whether we should pray for God to give us strength to endure our circumstances. Whether we should pray, for example, for the wind to stop or whether we should pray for persistence in the midst of the wind. I think what Jesus is praying here when the stakes are as high as they could ever be is he's praying between honest desire, sinless Jesus naturally does not want to take upon himself the sin of humanity and God's wrath. Jesus is praying between honest desire and perfect submission. And perfect submission is where he goes. And it makes me think about that story that Jesus tells about the seed. We looked at it as we were beginning our Rooted series. Remember a farmer is, is scattering seed. The seed lands in all different places. And one of the places, one of the soils where the seed lands is rocky. The topsoil is very thin. It, th that thin topsoil holds water well for shallow roots. But it doesn't allow the roots to grow. Anybody remember what happened in Jesus' parable, the soils, to that seed sown in the rocky ground? It grows up quickly, but then when the sun comes up, what happens? It withers. It dies because it doesn't have roots. I mean, we've been able to see even in our community, right, just with the storms of the last few weeks, there's a difference between a tree that has roots and a tree that doesn't. I think when Jesus came to this moment where the storm was coming, where the greatest of all tribulations was coming to him, Jesus shows us the power of rootedness. We see the difference between Jesus and his disciples. Their roots didn't go deep enough. And when the time of testing came, they ran away. They betrayed Jesus like Judas. They denied Jesus like Peter. But Jesus was deeply rooted. I think this is an opportunity for us to, to worship him today, to worship him for his love and commitment to us and to God. I've been privileged to be in the Garden of Gethsemane two times in my life, um, and both were very moving. The first one I, time I think was the most moving. Uh, we were walking down toward the Kidron Valley, the, the the street was incredibly narrow. There were a bunch of us in the street. And we were doing like you do when you're traveling somewhere, walking somewhere. We were, we were talking and, and uh, cutting up and all that. And then we had this little side exit into the garden. 
And we see these ancient trees that are like a, a, a thousand years old, these olive trees. And the first time I went, you know, there were obviously a lot of tourists there, a lot of Christians there, uh, a lot of folks from different churches. And the first time I went, there was a group, I think it was from a, a charismatic church uh, in the United States. And I remember seeing a group of women, and they had made a circle around an olive tree. And they were all reaching out, and they were touching the olive tree, and they were weeping. And they were crying out to Jesus as they wept. And I remember just being so moved by that. Because I felt like in that moment, they were identifying with Christ's suffering. And they were marveling at Christ's obedience. They were, they were acknowledging and they were saying, Lord, you said yes when every one of us would have said no. And I remember thinking at the time, Lord, I want more of what they have. I want more of that worshipful connection in my life. I, I want more of that marveling at you. You know, today on Palm Sunday, it's kind of easy to wave a palm. It's kind of easy to shout Hosanna. Today, it's, it's, it's easier to say yes to Jesus, isn't it? But what about tomorrow and the day after tomorrow? In fact, I wonder right now, even as I'm preaching, maybe some of you are sensing there's a, a, a moment of decision in your life where you are being led to pray, not my will, God, but yours be done. I wonder what that moment is. Maybe um, you've been deeply hurt by somebody. And, uh, and, and you've been living in unforgiveness and avoidance of them. And I'm not saying that what they did was no big deal. Maybe it was incredibly hurtful. Maybe it was even unjust. Maybe they need to even be confronted about it in love. But still I'm wondering, as we crowd around the olive tree this morning, I'm wondering what it would be like for you to say yes to forgiveness. Maybe some of us today, you sense God leading you in an area of obedience, but you're scared. In fact, maybe, maybe fear uh, often rises up in your heart. Maybe fear comes really easy for you, and yet you feel like God is calling you to do something. What would it be like as you pray for the power of Christ's Spirit to find this deeper yes from Jesus rising up in your heart as you obey Maybe right now you're tempted to give up on a commitment. You're done with serving. You're done with the church. You're done with loving someone hard to love. But could it be, even as you pray, Lord, not my will but yours, that God is revealing his will to you? Can you find your yes this morning with the strength of Jesus Christ? Here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you this morning that I think in the end, your life and my life will be defined by the yeses that we say and the yeses that we live out. Recently, I, I read a, a, a little paragraph in a column by David Brooks. It got my attention. He talked about two kinds of virtues. One kind of virtue is what he called 
resume virtues. These are the kinds of skills uh, and talents and achievements you put on your resume. These are the things that you bring to the marketplace, so to speak. The other set of virtues is what he calls eulogy virtues. These are the things that people talk about at your funeral. Things like whether you were kind or brave or honest or faithful or capable of deep love. And it just got me thinking, you know, at, at my funeral, at your funeral, I don't think anybody's going to care how fast we could type. I don't think anybody will care how proficient we were in Excel. I don't think anybody's going to mention our SAT scores. I don't think they're going to talk about how much profit even maybe we made for a company. You know what I think they'll talk about if they have something good to talk about? They'll talk about the many times we said yes when everything inside of us wanted to scream no. They'll talk about the times we said yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness, yes to kindness, yes to courage, yes to love. Friends, our Lord Jesus said the biggest yes ever for us. We worship him. We reach out our hands and we worship him. And as we worship him, we pray in his grace that Jesus Christ would say our yes through us. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this morning, Palm Sunday morning, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to the world to be our King of kings and Lord of lords. And we thank you that our Lord and Savior Jesus demonstrated his character he demonstrated his yes to you. He was filled with the wind of your Holy Spirit. And he said, yes, yes, yes. We thank you for that yes of forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that your yes would rise up in us as you give us strength to obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.